So, I'd like to give over this Torah in under six minutes. And then invite people up to stand with the Torah if it speaks to you this morning. We have three aliyot. The first one is for anyone, if it speaks to you, to come forward. We'll have a second aliyah and a third aliyah that are each given already and apportioned. But we are learning Torah this morning for the sake of living well. We are learning Torah this morning for the sake of living more thoughtfully, more compassionately, more regret-free living. Decisions made with greater wisdom and insight into how we might live. We are reading the Torah, asking it to give us its wisdom for a situation or for a life moment or an internal place that might need its guidance. So we asked the Torah this morning, what do you have to teach us that we might live more wholesomely? And so just for some context before we dive into the verses that we will be reading, the context of this morning's reading, uh, and again, we, we divide up each and every portion according to the triennial reading, which means that as a rabbi, I might open up to the apportioned reading and it might say to me, wow, could you have chosen juicier verses, right? The verses that we hear this morning are in chapter 15, verse 8. Chapter 15, verse 8, on page 851. And of all of the places to start, Parshat Shlach Lecha, of all the places to start the portion of the Torah that deals with the spies, which begins in chapter 13, right? This morning's parsha, which we're not reading all of, begins in chapter 13 with the story of the spies, but we're going to be reading from the story that comes after the spies where the Torah will interrupt the narrative to give us the details of libation offerings. Does anybody know what a libation offering is? What's a libation offering? A drink offering, which meant that it was wine. There's also another kind of libation, oil. Two kinds of libation offerings, also water. So water, wine, and oil. Those three liquids were offered where, everybody? In the temple, on the altar. Have I piqued your curiosity yet? Are you all excited that we're going to be talking about pouring liquids on an altar? I'm telling you right now, if I were you, I'd be saying, we want the spies. We want the spies. We want the spies. Right? We want the spies. The story of the spies is classic, it's beautiful, it's amazing. We interrupt this beautiful story of leaving Egypt, arriving at Sinai and receiving revelation, our marching orders, our mission statement, who we are to be as human beings, what we are to aspire towards. We interrupt your camps and how you might travel together in the desert. We interrupt all of that beautiful narrative to tell you a story at this moment about how hard it was not to leave Egypt, but how impossible it was to make it to the promised land. Because inevitably along the way, along the arc of history that bends towards, hopefully towards justice, there are naysayers, there are these 10 spies who go to see the beauty of the land and they come back with that famous image. I don't know if it's famous for everybody, but for me growing up on all of our wine bottles when I was growing up, there was the image of the two characters with that big cluster of graves that looked like it was like radioactive. It was like these 12 huge, gargantuan, Chernobyl-sized grapes, right? These huge grapes. They thought, like, where did anybody get grapes like that? Am I in Lilliput? Am I, like, somewhere in Gulliver's Travels? 
So here we are in the middle of this amazing narrative about faith and about how 10 people can gather together as a mob to instill and to distill and to feed and foment and ferment fear. The promised land is the promised land. We're not, we're, you know, God give it. I mean, God, look at what God did over here. A couple of plagues. There's a miraculous well in the desert. There's fire and brimstone. And there are a couple of, you know, a couple of enemies over there, but we're not going to be able to handle it. That's what the ten spies. And so I would have loved to talk about that this morning. But instead, we're going to be talking about this. I talk about it in the open book, but here, thank you, Clela. Here we are squarely in libation land. And so, an assumption of Torah, I'm, I'm four minutes away, the assumption of Torah, assumption of Torah is that the way that the narrative unfolds matters. Where parts of the Torah land matters. We don't have to work with that assumption, but it is an assumption of the text, and it's my assumption this morning, that the libation offering that comes immediately after the spy story is significant. Torah will tell us that when you want to bring a meal offering, a mincha, a meal offering was flour, different kinds of flour that would be offered with an animal, or all by itself could be. We are to bring wine and pour it on the altar. Look at verse 8, 9, and 10 with me on page 851. When you bring an animal from the herd as a burnt offering to, the, to God, or a shlamim, sacrifice that will be eaten, this is the amount of, of flour, this is like, like cooking instructions, bring this much flour, gets put in with that offering. Balul Bashemin, let the oil be mixed in about half a hin. It's a certain amount. And bring with that not only oil mixed in with the flour, like baklava, but bring a half a hin of wine. And here's where it gets interesting. Let it, these be a gift or a fire. Isha is a fire offering for God. The commentators at this moment, Rashi and others, and you're going to lose me if you're not focused because I'm telling you, this is going to pass by so fast this morning, you might miss it. So I want to invite you to stay focused here. The word, let it be a fire offering which seems to come right after the offering of the wine, the commentators have a problem with this. Was the wine indeed part of the offering? Was it poured on the altar or was it not? Now you might say, wow, you've gone from boring to super boring. <laughs> but it matters. This was a machloket in Masechet Zvachim. This is an argument amongst the rabbis between the 4th and 6th century. When the Torah ends verse number 10, telling us right after the wine that all of this is a burnt offering, isha, it should be on the altar of fire. Does it mean including the wine or not including the wine? 
According to the opinion that it doesn't include the wine, it makes sense. It goes back on the original flower offering or whatever is happening here. It's saying the whole thing is burnt on the altar, but you can't pour wine on the altar. It will extinguish the fire on the altar. And the other rabbis say, no, it's true. Only part of the fire will go out, but the wine will improve the overall offering on the altar. If we remember back to the spies, the image of the spies with grapes. With grapes. That's the image. Anavim. They bring back grapes. And all of a sudden, after the spy story and the failure of the spies to incite the people about Israel, but rather to incite them against it, we have a story about grapes too, about wine. About whether or not wine is itself part of the offering whether wine and all that wine represents is something that can be made holy, that can be made pure. Whether wine itself is too dangerous, it extinguishes the flames of the altar, or whether wine must include, right? Every offering must include a half a pint of your favorite, you know, Bordeaux. The test of the land of Israel was whether or not they could go up. Whether or not those people could see the positive and get excited about it, whether they could see what was not yet there. And the grapes represented that. Can you see in the grapes what is hidden in the grapes? It's true, it looks in a certain way and containers are important, but inside the container, inside of it there is a secret, there's an elixir, there is something that is beautiful, intoxicating. You won't know unless you trust us. These grapes, they are beautiful. But woe to you if you see in the grapes only the grapes and not the power that the grapes have over time. The secret that they hold, if you judge the container by its externality and not by its interiority. And the rabbi who is about to, who tells us about the wine this morning says to each and every one of us, are you bringing your wine to the altar? Do you bring your wine to the altar? Or is it too much? The wine, you know, that thing in you that is spicy and exciting and intoxicating, or the thing in your life that is erotic in the best sense of the word, meaning life-filled, chiyut, is that holy? Would that extinguish the Isha Would that extinguish God's fire? Isn't it true that when Ilana is playing the piano over there, we don't have to be, people say like, oh, we come to Romamu, and people are, are it's like, it's a, sometimes they say it's performance, they're not praying. And I think to myself, you have no idea what prayer means. Is prayer only supplication before a deity that is this great big daddy? And we say, please God, please. And even as we're saying Tehillim Psalms, we're saying sacred, beautiful poetry. It has to be, you know, with a... Or is it okay to make eye contact and to let your instrument sing its song? And like, yeah, we're in it. We're singing for God or goddess. We're singing for the spirit of life. Our aliveness is part of the altar that we are bringing to the world. Our wine, our secret, our unique sowed, our unique hidden place 
could be part of what God wants from you in the world. What she does, what it does, what that does, what the universe wanted from you, as it were, what you want from you, what the world wants from you, what consciousness, you name your little nickname for the one. What it wants for you, what Dharma wants from you, what, right? So bring it. Bring it. Right? When we started Rome, remember we used to talk about Rome, we'd say, what's Rome all about? Well, it's about this. I have a log. We're using a different metaphor, mixing them here, it's okay. I have a log, you have a log, let's make a fire. I'm going to ask you if yours is a Jewish log. Is your log kosher? It's like, let's just bring it. And let's build a, a place where we invite people to bring what they have. Because this altar won't be extinguished by your passion. This altar won't be extinguished by your joy. This altar will not be extinguished by your daemon, your unique acorn, your unique place. This altar is strong enough. It might put out a little place, but it's going to go back on fire. Right? It takes a little bit of time to integrate that gift. It takes some time to enlarge, like to make the vessel big enough. It's like, oh yeah, that too. Whew. Okay. So this morning, this day, where we lift up human pride, we lift up the gifts that each and every human being brings to this world and we remember how easy it is to cipher off humans. Say, no, not this part, not that part. On this morning of bringing a flower, a simple flower offering, we also bring the wine and we say, this wine will be poured out too on the altar. It too will become consecrated, made holy. It too belongs in the place of Korban, of coming close. All of this Torah is found in the Ksav Kabbalah, the great teaching of the Ksav Kabbalah and other Hasidic masters, inviting each and every one of those this morning who feel that that speaks to you where you are this morning. If it does, if it's one, if it's none, if it's all, there's room at this altar for your wine. Please come and bring it.